Hi, thanks again for joining me. This is Gary Zacharias with the Apologist Bookshelf. Um, I came across a new book, uh, new for me at least. I just uh, read it a few days ago. It's called Stand Firm with the subtitle Apologetics and the Brilliance of the Gospel. And uh, I was intrigued because uh, people like Gary Habermas, uh, Tim McGrew, Paul Copan, see who else, and people gave us some really high right. J.P. Moreland, J. Warner Wallace, talked about what a good book it was. So I started in on it, and it covers uh, basic apologetics, uh, things like what is truth, is there a God, can you trust in miracles, and they spend time with David Hume, uh, the reliability of the New Testament, Jesus and his resurrection, is he the only way, the problem of evil, and then I like what they do. The last two chapters cover uh, counterfeit things like chapter 10, counterfeit gospels, and they talk about world religions, and then chapter 11, counterfeit gospels, they talk about uh, Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnesses. So I like the scope of the book. It has lots of good uh, notes at the bottom so you can get more information. I also like what they do at the end of the chapters, which I think is very helpful. They have assignments in a way. Things like, I mean, just as an example, strike up a conversation with a skeptic about the definition of miracle. Uh, pay careful attention to how presuppositions shape one's understanding. Ask how if he or she were to accept the possibility of miracles, would this impact his or her openness to the possibility of Jesus' resurrection. So they got some assignments, which I think is really good, answering some questions, and then suggested reading at the end of each chapter. So uh, I think that's so helpful. Instead of just, here's a book, here's some information, you figure out what to do with it. This has specific ideas to help you. Uh, the authors, by the way, Paul Gould, Travis Dickinson, and R. Keith Lofton. They're all at, uh, let's see, they're all at different Baptist theological seminaries here. One's at Oklahoma Baptist, uh, Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, and another one at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. So I like this. They, they argue that the gospel satisfies all the needs, all the longings that we have. I think that's so important. Instead of just intellectual arguing for the truth of Christianity, it's the Christianity fulfills the needs that we all have. And it's uh, up to date, and it's, it's a really, really good book. So I thought I would start off with the opening chapters, give us kind of an overview of apologetics, and it's called An Invitation to Apologetics. So it starts off with, what is it? What, what do we mean when we say apologetics? And of course, it tells you it comes from a Greek word that means defense. So their definition for apologetics is an attempt to remove obstacles or doubts to as well as offer positive reasons for believing that Christianity is true and satisfying. And they, they're very clear. I like this. They say sometimes you get doubts to faith that are going to be intellectual. Okay. But there are also a lot of doubts that come about because people can't imagine a world wherein Christianity is good and beautiful. They talk about Peter Kreft, and he said there are three prophets, he says, of the human soul. One is reason. That's something that we all long for, which is truth. Conscience, that longs for goodness. And imagination, which longs for beauty. So he says all these longings for truth and goodness and beauty are satisfied in Christ. And so their challenge to us as apologists, we've got to awake these universal longings that people have and then point them through reason and the conscience and the imagination to Christ. I mean, it seems simple, doesn't it? Uh, but it's so obvious. We, 
using reason is great, but we want to focus on the whole person. So truth and goodness and beauty. So truth, certainly, but goodness and beauty. And I think we've uh, pretty well failed at doing that. We've offered people a lot of good, hardcore intellectual reasons, and I'm glad there are plenty of those. But I'm not sure that we've given people reasons to love Christianity for its goodness and beauty. So let's move on here. He says, uh, then they uh, quote Greg Gansel, and he talks about having a robust view of apologetics. Again, a bigger picture of apologetics than just hammering some some, uh, rational reasons into people's heads. He said, there are theological issues that we want to talk about as part of apologetics. So what are we talking about there? Well, things like grace and the nature of man and what sin does to us and general revelation. And that encourages us to think about evangelism. In other words, we are sharing as humans. We all are in this together. We all wrestle with these issues. So it's not us against them. We're in this all together. Secondly, he says, according to Gansel, apologetics issues include, of course, the intellectual. Nothing wrong with that. Some of the old staples, they said, like arguments for God's existence and the problem of evil, uh, defense of the historicity of the Bible, things like that. But Gansel also says there's a third area, the missional area. So we've got the theological issues that we have to be able to, to deal with. We certainly have the academic issues. And then there are third, the third area is missional issues. What are we talking about there? We want to build bridges from the audience to the gospel. So, in a sense, we have to become what they call cultural exegetes. We have to learn about the people that we're trying to reach, their beliefs and their values and their emotional responses. So we have some good starting points. Um, I think about a talk that I've done about being a good ambassador for Christ. And an ambassador in this world has to know something about the country that he or she is sent to. They can't just sit isolated up in the fourth floor of a building. They get out there and they find out what is of interest and what cultural values that society has. And we have to do the same thing. I mean, Paul did that, didn't he, in Acts 17, where he walked around in Athens and he found out a lot about that society. So they said that we have to, in a sense, diagnose accurately where a believer is spiritually, their current location, so we know how to get them from that to the gospel. So there we go. There are the three legs, you might say, of this important uh, triangle here, a more robust view of what we do if we're involved in apologetics. That's the theological, the academic, and the missional. All right, next section in the book here is, is apologetics biblical? And it says, of course, we think that it's essential, uh, but said there are some people that say it's unbiblical, that you just simply preach the gospel or you you repeat the words of Scripture, and then you sit back and you allow the Holy Spirit to work in the unbeliever's heart. And of course, we all believe it's up to the Holy Spirit, no doubt about that. <clears throat> but some people think, well, once you're involving a rational defense, you're 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 trying to take over from God. And these authors say, no, we certainly believe it's the Holy Spirit that does move in a person's heart, but. God has called us to be faithful witnesses and sometimes expert witnesses. And they said that if we're going to be faithful and expert witnesses, we have to have reasons. So apologetics is rooted in our desire to be fair and to faithfully represent the reality of God. We have to think about it this way. We want what's best for people, and people flourish 
if they're related well to reality. I thought that was a very good point. And also, they said apologetics is commanded. We can't bypass uh, some of the commands that are in there. For example, 1 Peter 3.15, we know this one. In your heart, set, a, set apart Christ as Lord, holy, not ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that's in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. So they point out, of course, we're supposed to give reasons, but we have to have the right attitude. As they say, you don't want to be a gunslinger apologist trying to notch your gun belt. And uh, says, we want to engage unbelievers. Like the Golden Rule says, we ought to engage the way we would want to be engaged if we were in the opposite way. So that's important. We want to treat them the way they should treat us. And then finally, why apologetics? It's demonstrated in Scripture. Jesus pointed to miracles to validate his claims. He uh, pointed to fulfill prophecy. He appealed to evidence that he was the Messiah, and so did the disciples. They went to prophecy. They focused on his miracles, and they certainly focused on his resurrection to say, you ought to trust Jesus as the Messiah. Paul did that too. He appealed to nature before the Greeks in Lystra and other places. So as William Lane Craig puts it, they quote him here, says they, talking about the disciples, trusted the Holy Spirit to use their arguments to draw unbelievers to God. I think that's a really good point. They trusted the Holy Spirit. So we rely on the Spirit. We don't rely on us, but we have to present that information, and the Holy Spirit can use that then to draw people to him. Another section of this opening chapter, why does apologetics matter? Well, first of all, they said, what does apologetics do? It addresses the ideas and values that the culture embraces that shape its receptivity to the gospel. And they mentioned Tim Keller. Tim Keller says every culture has what he calls a set of defeater beliefs. And if these are true, those beliefs defeat belief in Christianity. And he says it kind of depends on the culture. So as an example, in the West, here's a defeater belief. If it's true, it's going to hurt Christianity. Well, here's the belief. All religions are equally valid. All right, now we need to attack that because that's not true. But if we just let it sit there, people buy into it, and then they walk away from Christianity. They said, by the way, in the Middle East, nobody believes that all religions are equally valid. So you know, these are different cultures that are going to buy into these beliefs, and the apologist has to address these beliefs so the gospel gets a fair hearing. Why else does apologetics matter? Well, it contributes to our spiritual formation into Christ. Knowing what we believe and why we believe helps us grow. You know, with our apologetics class at the church I attend, we hear probably more comments this way, that apologetics has strengthened the believers and increased their confidence. So we're probably getting better reaction from believers than non-believers. Well, that's fine. Uh, they point out here in Romans 12 too, Paul says you've got to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Well, what we believe about God and the world and ourselves is going to determine the course of our lives, and it's going to shape our soul. J.P. Moreland says this, beliefs are the rails upon which our lives run. And so apologetics can help us think more deeply about our mental life to root out our errors and to strengthen our beliefs, to give us confidence to appreciate the enchantment and the lure and the love that we can find in Jesus and the gospel. Another reason why does, why does apologetics matter? It helps win unbelievers to Christ. And there's a story here, and I won't take time to tell the story, but Paul Gould tells a story of how he became 
a Christian because of apologetics. So I'll leave that alone, but that's a powerful story. All right, well, then I'm getting near the end of the chapter. It said uh, they, they tell a long story about uh, St. Augustine, and they said, we can learn about our task from this. First, our highest good and our greatest need is Christ. Our hearts are restless until they find rest in Christ. Do you recognize that uh, rephrasing of what Augustine said? Secondly, God draws people to himself as whole people. The mind isn't left behind. You need to believe it's true as well as hope it's true. And third, they said defeater beliefs have to be addressed before a person is willing to consider Christ. So again, we have to think about what this culture is telling us. What are they saying? Well, you know, Christianity, I've thought about it now because, and then they have their reasons. Those are defeater beliefs. We have to be able to address those. Now, finally, they said, assent to the truth of Christianity is not enough. The heart of the issue is the will. It's changing the will. So apologetics can clear away intellectual obstacles, but people down deep will have to realize, okay, I guess it's not really the arguments that are holding me back. I think it's bending the knee. It's my will. And it certainly comes down to that, doesn't it? We can give people dozens and dozens of very clear, good reasons, but it comes down to will. I remember Frank Turek used to say, if I could prove to you that Christianity was true, would you become a Christian? And he said, whatever answer you get lets you know what's going on in the person's heart. If they say, yeah, if you could give me reasons, I'd become a Christian, there's an open person. But if somebody says, I don't care, you give me all the reasons you want, I'd never become a Christian, you know it's not those intellectual beliefs, even though that person may say it is, it's, it's a will situation. All right, so at the end of the chapter, by the way, I think I mentioned before, they give you some suggested reading. And I like the ones that were listed here for this chapter. One was William Lane Craig's book, On Guard. That's terrific. Another one is Doug Grutis, Grutis' book, Christian Apologetics. It's pretty hefty, but it's a really good book. And they mentioned C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity. I'll tell you what I'd add to that, too, because it's a, an up-to-date one that's wonderful. It's Greg Kokel's book. Uh, the Story of Reality. That's excellent. Kind of an updated mere Christianity if you ever struggle with mere Christianity. Okay, so once again, the book is Stand Firm. Uh, it's Like I said, it's new for me. Let me check out when it actually was published. Uh, 2018. Okay, so it's not brand new, but and it's uh, it's not hard to read and it's not long. It's a couple hundred, a little over a couple hundred pages. I'd recommend it. It's got a lot of good material, a lot of good things to chew on. Well, thanks again for sharing some time with me, and we'll do another podcast soon.